What's up, everybody? Welcome back, and thank you once again for tuning in. A lot of action took place this past Saturday between Carson, California, and Las Vegas, Nevada. Two marquee fights, headlining events, and with with fairly good supporting cards. We did a the last two episodes were the preview episodes leading to the Devin Haney versus Jorge Linares uh, lightweight matchup and the Nonito Donaire trying to make history in his bantamweight fight against champion um, Nordin Ubali. Uh, so let's let's recap. Let's. There was a lot of stuff that took place this past weekend. Let's recap. Let's head back to Saturday night at Carson, California, as they had Nonito Donaire and Nordin Ubali had two. Um, they had obviously a full card of matchups in Carson, uh, but there was three matchups that I was paying attention to, of course, the main event and two others. Uh, the first one was in the uh, in the super lightweight or junior welterweight division at 140 pounds. That was between Gary Antoine Russell. Um, and that Gary Antoine Russell stepped in at 13-0, perfect record to date against none other than Giovanni Santiago. Now, Giovanni Santiago doesn't have that big uh, household name, that big household notoriety, but he's best known for his last outing where he moved up to welterweight to fight Adrian Broner. Uh, he goes to welterweight, gives Adrian Broner everything Adrian Broner could handle. Of course, Adrian Broner had been out since December of 20 and, um, and he ends up fighting, uh, he ends up fighting Adrian Broner at the beginning of, uh, of this year. Uh, in February of this year, Adrian Broner, uh, trying to stay active and, um, I, that fight in itself was one that was a you pick em type fight at the end because Adrian Broner uh, had a mixed reaction, uh, the crowd giving a mixed reaction when the when the decision was given to Adrian Broner. Uh, a lot of people thought Giovanni Santiago did enough to have pulled out that victory. He actually was deducted a point at one point for hitting after the bell uh, during the fight. The card, the fight was actually closed. The cards didn't reflect that. The judges were actually, um, fairly one-sided for Adrian Broner giving, I mean, I think Adrian Broner won that fight against Giovanni Santiago by, uh, no less than, than four rounds, three to four rounds. And as much as by six rounds, I think six or seven rounds in a landslide by one of the judges. Uh, Giovanni Santiago performed a lot better than what the scorecards reflected. Um, than what the judges gave him credit for, and he very well could have pulled that fight out. And if you would have given it to Giovanni Santiago, uh, a lot of people wouldn't have been upset. Good Puerto Rican fighter, uh, solid base. He stepped in this time at 140 pounds against Gary um, Antoine Russell, and and gave a good showing. Gave a good showing against Gary Antoine Russell, um, at least for the first few rounds. By the fourth round, Russell drops Santiago uh, in hard fashion. Santiago gets up and continues on. Russell was just too much, was a step ahead of uh, Giovanni Santiago, and eventually the fight is stopped in the sixth round. This fight was scheduled for 10 rounds. Gary Antoine Russell uh, comes out the victor, remains undefeated, and moves on to a 14-0 unblemished record where Giovanni Santiago gets his uh, the second defeat of his career. The first, of course, coming by at the hands of Adrian Broner. Uh, 
From there, we moved on to the next bout, Subriel Matias, also at 140 pounds. Subriel Matias uh, stepped into the ring with a 16-1 record uh, against uh, Batirzan Jukambayev, uh, who was a perfect unblemished record as he stepped into the ring, 18-0. This was a firefight. It was back and forth, a lot of action, good boxing on both ends, a lot of power punches thrown between the two. Jukambayev was down in round four. Uh, Jukambayev, uh, the, the corner ends up stopping uh, the bout after round eight. And uh, and it was ruled a knockout win. So back-to-back stoppages. The Santiago fight was stopped um, after round six. This one was stopped after round eight. It was a firefight. And Subriel Matias is going to give anybody headaches. He improves to 17-1. and one, um, Gives the first loss to Jukimbaev. Um Wow. I mean, the sky's the limit for Subriel Matias. He's going to give anybody headaches. He's going to give anybody headaches in the 140-pound division. And... Uh, and I can't wait to see him again. The guy is just fireworks uh, to to watch. We move on to the main event. This was uh, one that I was pulling for. Uh, I was a little more biased for one side over the other. And that was for Nonito Daner. I was pulling for him. I'm a sucker for history, boxing history. Um, I'm a sucker for the underdog. And in this uh, case, the underdog happened to, to be the legend, the legendary Nonito Daner. Nonito Daner walking into this fight at 38 years of age. Uh, he stepped into the fight with, uh, with a record of 40 and 6 as the challenger to, to Nordinu Bali's WBC bantamweight title. Nordinu Bali stepping in with 17 and 0, uh, perfect unblemished record, uh, high knockout ratio, high power, high volume punching from, from Nordinu Bali. And as I was breaking down the fight on the, on the preview episode, the way that I saw the fight playing out was if Nordinu Bali established the pace and took the pace uh, in his favor from the beginning, pressing the action, taking the action to Nonito Daner, most most of the success that Nordinu Bali to date has found has been by pressing his opponents, pushing forward, pressing his opponents towards the ropes, and then he starts unleashing the power punches. The big issue here was going to be the height and the reach that favored Nonito Daner. Nonito Daner needed to keep the fight in the center of the ring, and we the opening bell rings. You get power punching from Nordinu Bali, who quickly begin to establish his his power and his dominance, uh, and and begin to have some success by lunging forward, uh, throwing some good hooks and some good straight jabs to Nonito Daner and landing. At that, but Nonito Daner began to find his pace. He set the pace from the beginning. He set the rhythm. He began to box in the center of the ring. And all of a sudden, by round two, you start seeing Nonito Daner pressing the action forward, initiating the contact, or at least baiting Nordinu Bali to swing so Nonito could counter. And countering by way of his strong left Hook. He still has a lot of power. The Filipino Flash has a lot of power, and it's a quick piston-like um, hook that, that he still has, that he still possesses, and he landed it over and over and over, and he began to take control of the rhythm to where Nordinu Bali began to hesitate a little bit as far as generating his attack by way of just power. So he began to box. 
it was pretty evident that Nonito Donaire ended up figuring out the rhythm of the fight and the pattern in which uh, Ubali was attacking. Nonito continued to push the action towards the ropes, which is something that has, for the entire career of, uh, of Ubali, that's where he's found his success getting his opponents against the ropes so he could land his power punches. This time he was on his back foot and he finds his back against the ropes. Nonito Donaire sneaking the left hook. By the third round, he drops Ubali twice and nasty at that. Nasty drops. Ubali goes down. He barely answers the second time that he goes down. The corner is panicking. He sits there. They're trying to get him up, but he's not gathering his composure as quickly as as the corner may have wanted to, maybe as quickly as Ubali may have wanted to. These punches were just catching him off guard on the button by way of or compliments of the left hook that Anito Daner still possesses. Speed is still there, his instincts, his reflexes are still there, and the left hook, the power of that left hook is ever so present. He dropped Ubali nasty on both occasions, the second one being even more uh, more of a, of a staple, uh, cementing the power with that second one, surprising to the, to the audience, to the crowd surprise, to the commentator surprise, to the fan surprise. Ubali actually answered it, got up, goes to the corner, uh, and then he has to answer the bell. He does. He answers the bell for the fourth round and they begin to go back and forth. They dance around a little bit. And Onito Donaire starts pressing the action as they exchange punches towards the center of the ring. Ubali ends up taking the worst of that exchange, backpedaling towards the ropes to where Nonito Donaire again establishes the exchange, takes control of the exchange, and counters beautifully with the left and cements the drop with the right. He sneaks that right punch in there, connects on the button, and he leaves uh, Nordinu Bali just mangled on the ground. I mean, just, it looked like he was lifeless for a few seconds. He looked like a puppet, uh, just landed, legs spread apart, head looking down. The referee immediately steps in, waves the fight off, and we have a new WBC bantamweight champion of the world and the oldest bantamweight champion in boxing history at that. Nonito Donaire makes history again, something about Carson, California. That used to be the Home Depot Center, uh, and it's produced some high firework-style fights uh, in, in years past. Then it became the StubHub Center and now the Dignity Health Sports Park. Regardless of what it is, there's something about that atmosphere that that arena, that venue in Carson, California just brings out the animal and these fighters and and you see fireworks you're bound to see fireworks uh that's also the venue uh, that hosted those famous fights between Rafa Marquez and El Magnifico uh Israel Vasquez uh those were Amazing, amazing fights. I actually had a chance to be at that venue, uh, years ago between, uh, and witnessed a fight between De La Hoya and Steve Forbes. And, uh, it's just, it's an awesome arena. It's a cool venue. Um, if you ever get a chance to go check it out, go check out a game there. It was, uh, it was famous, of course, for hosting the, the Los Angeles Galaxy. And, uh, and then they started hosting fights. And I think one of the biggest events that they hosted there, one of the initial big events that they hosted there was the De La Hoya Steve Forbes fight. And then from there, it carried on on a life of its own. And you've seen some amazing fights, uh, in, in years past since then. So this was, 
this was an awesome fight. Fireworks from the beginning. The intensity was there. The nerves was there from both fighters. They were both just on top of their games. And Onito Donaire just a step ahead of Nordinu Bali. Figures him out. Figures a puzzle that is Nordinu Bali and his power. And lands his power. Um, is able to, to outsmart and outpoint Nordinu Bali and, uh, and ends up unleashing his power compliments of the left hook. Stopping Nordinu Bali by fourth round knockout. Drops him three times, the third one being the final uh, nail in the coffin. Congratulations, Nonito Donaire. I was beyond happy that, that he pulled it out. I didn't see the fight going this way at all. If anything, I thought it was going to drag on into the later rounds. Uh, I'm just glad that he was able to make history. Nonito Donaire still looks good. And now... Just look at the division, Naoya Inoue, whom Nonito Donaire had a fight of the year in 2019, Guillermo Rigondeaux, who Nonito Donaire has a loss to, that's another one of the champions there, and John Riel Casimero, who is another one of the champions there, and scheduled to fight Guillermo Rigondeaux. Just those four names alone, just think about that. That, that division, as far as champions are concerned, is stacked. And there's no shortage of competition and challengers in that division. So it's it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's going to develop awesome. It'll be a great story if we get to see Nonito step in there against Guillermo Rigondeaux years after both of them on the latter stages of their career. If he gets to run it back against Naoya Inoue, um, this would be, that would be awesome and possibly another fight of the year candidate or quite, a, or, or maybe a fight of the year itself again, or he fights John Rio Casimero. If Casimero defeats Guillermo Rigondeaux come August, then Nonito Donaire could possibly unify against him. Hey, I can't wait. I can't wait to see how these champions, how it pans out and these champions uh, fighting one another. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Inoue should be, uh, should be active here in the next few weeks as well. So we'll get to see him in action, see how the monster looks. Congratulations to Nonito Donaire. What an amazing showing he had this past Saturday night. And uh, and overall, the card was super entertaining. So with that, we move over to Las Vegas, Nevada. And that was the big main event uh, to be headlined by Devin Haney versus Jorge Linares. Uh, the big The Zone event that was taking place there. And it was just... It was a great atmosphere. The fact that the crowds are starting to get back into Las Vegas, the fact that they're, they're starting to have attendance. That's, it's, it's just awesome. Las Vegas is returning back to normalcy, at least a certain level of normalcy. And, and it's great because Las Vegas has become the mecca of boxing, which New York was once. Las Vegas is it now. Um, the event, there was pretty good, pretty good fights leading up to, uh, to the main event, uh, one of them that had a questionable stoppage was the Chantel Cameron. Chantel Cameron stays undefeated, moves on to to a 14 and 0, stays with the unblemished record, moves on to a 14 and 0 uh, record, retains her WBC uh, super lightweight title uh, by beating Melissa Hernandez. It was a one-sided fight from the onset, from the opening bell. Chantel Cameron sets her pace and was basically heading to a one-sided fight. Uh, she did drop uh, Hernandez in round four, uh, but Hernandez kept coming forward. Tough, very experienced, um, not 
not a lot of volume from from Melissa Hernandez's uh, side, but she was still in there. She was still fighting. The referee began to seem after that knockdown in round four like he wanted to interject, like he wanted to stop the fight, and sure enough, he does. In round five, he ends up stepping in on what was a weak punch, uh, at least not a not a not a stopping type punch. It was a good punch, good solid punch to the mouth by Chantel Cameron, but it wasn't. It wasn't anything that put Melissa Hernandez in danger. Her hands were a little bit down. The punch landed flush on her mouth. But it wasn't anything that wobbled Melissa Hernandez or or almost dropped her or she lost consciousness, anything like that. It wasn't it wasn't a knockout punch. It wasn't a knockdown punch at that. It was just a solid punch. And maybe she was about to start setting a succession of punches to follow that that lead right jab that uh that Chantel Cameron landed. But the referee stepped in. The referee steps in. As soon as that punch hits Melissa Hernandez in the mouth, referee steps in, waves it off, and the crowd goes nuts. Begins booing the referee. Chantel Cameron retains her her title. This is her debut in the U.S. Good showing by her. I mean, regardless of the crowd's reaction, the crowd was not booing Chantel Cameron. It was a one-sided fight. It's just a matter of Maybe one or two more rounds, and I think Chantel Cameron would have gotten Melissa Hernandez out of there, or maybe the stoppage would have been deemed. Uh, but the referee had to let him go. Melissa Hernandez was still conscious enough, was still fighting, was still defending herself, and uh, and 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 give her the respect as well. She's a veteran of the sport. She's a former champion herself. Give her the respect as well. Let her fight. Let her fight. It, one punch will will change the whole thing. One succession of punches, and Melissa Hernandez could have switched momentum to her favor. Uh, who knows if it would have happened? But let them fight. Let them figure it out. Don't step in on a weak punch like that. And that's what the crowd was booing. A lot of misconception that the crowd was booing Chantel Cameron. They weren't. Chantel Cameron debuted. This is her first fight in the U.S. across from the pond, and she debuted magnificently. She she had a great showing. She represented herself well. She carries herself well. She speaks well, and she she came. She worked. She did what she was supposed to, and retains her title and continues with an unblemished record. Uh, the other fight that was. Uh, complete fireworks was, uh, the son of the legend, Shane Mosley Jr., uh, ends up going all 10 rounds against Jason Quigley. Jason Quigley ends up getting the nod, uh, and he ends up winning the, um, the NABO, the WBO, NABO, uh, middleweight title. So, so a small alphabet title, but it was a good showing by both fighters. Uh, unfortunately, Shane Mosley Jr., uh, loses, gets the gets the bad end of the nod, but it was a great back and forth battle, great boxing match. Definitely, Shane Mosley Jr. is no Shane Mosley, and we've seen that time and again where usually the sons of these legendary fighters don't transition to be as good as their dads or or, or their their predecessors. Um, but Shane Mosley Jr. represents himself very well now, campaigning at middleweight, and uh, and unfortunately comes on the on the low end of the decision, on the bad end of the decision, Jason Quigley calls out Boo Boo Andre at the end of the fight. Now that he has a WBO and ABO title, uh, and and would like a crack at Boo Boo Andre. So Jason Quigley, fun fighter as well. Uh, Shane Mosley Jr., fun fighter as well. Uh, great fight, super entertaining fight. Goes all ten rounds. That was a that was a, a good fireworks fight. If you didn't catch that, you could catch the highlights online, I'm sure, or even even find the fight. I'm sure I'm sure it'll be streamed somewhere. 
if you got the DAZN app and you missed it, then, then just, I'm sure you'll be able to catch it there. Uh, Martin Ward, uh, 130 pound fight. Martin Ward stops, uh, Zinga, actually Azinga Fusile is the other way, way around. Azinga Fusile just drops Martin Ward, just tears him up left and right. Azinga Fusile, very, very impressive. Good power reminds me of a, of a, of a night quarte. Um, he he has good power. He's kind of a mixture of like a Zolani Tete and I Corte. Good power, good speed, guards the hand, lets it go whenever he needs to, the right hand that is, lets it go whenever he needs to, and sends punches and bunches when need when need be during those exchanges, uh, even to um to lead the action or or create a succession of uh uh of uh, of action he he just unleashes punches in order to set a trap for the counter it was very effective and no matter what Ward tried to do he was just a step behind and couldn't handle the power of Fuzile a single Fuzile awesome fighter I can't wait to see hopefully he steps up Ward is no bum but a single Fuzile needs better competition and uh if anything, I would like to see Fuzile against Shakur Stevenson. I don't know much about Nakatila, who's about to face Shakur Stevenson here in the next week or so, or a couple weeks. Uh, I don't know much about Nakatila, but a single Fuzile would be an awesome, awesome fight for Shakur Stevenson. And that would be a great step up for Fuzile as well. A huge step up for Fuzile at that. But he's going to give anybody problems. Kind of like a Subriel Matias of this 130, so 10 pounds apart. Subriel Matias represented himself really, really good uh, on his card. And uh, and Fusila represents himself really, really good uh, in the in the 130-pound division. Uh, just just awesome. Um, he dropped Ward in, uh, in round four and uh, in round seven. And uh, and then the fight is, is stopped at that point. We get to the main event. And the anticipation was at an all-time high. There's drama, the storyline, there was a little bit of controversy, the fight lived up to it, and to, for the last day or so, a couple of days, we, people continued to fight about this, people immediately jumped on board, uh, some people jumped on the van wagon, pointing fingers, criticizing uh, Devin Haney, uh, everything's been pretty one-sided, and, uh, and kicked Devin Haney while he's up, I guess, because he's not down, he didn't lose, so... So it was it was an awesome fight at that. Devin Haney comes away with the decision. There was a little bit of controversy. We'll touch base on that. There was uh there was some issues that I saw uh that I'll point out in case um uh, in case you guys didn't catch them. Uh Devin Haney performed well. Devin Haney represented represented himself well. He needed to show up, he needed to perform, and he did. Jorge Linares, the legend, the veteran that he is, he showed up to fight, but he was a step behind Devin Haney, maybe even a couple steps behind Devin Haney. The speed from the onset, from the opening bell, Jorge Linares comes to the center of the ring with the high guard, looking to press the action forward, try to initiate an attack, so or at least bait an attack from Devin Haney so he could try to counter, and he was just a step behind Devin Haney met Jorge Linares in the center of the ring and immediately establishes his left jab. The left jab finding, finding Jorge Linares' face uh, between his guard, between his gloves, over and over and over again. Uh, Devin Haney 
found success and he continued, he set the pace, he set the rhythm of the fight. He, uh, he ended up imposing his style of fight over what Jorge Linares should have done. Jorge Linares being the experienced fighter, you thought he would have switched the rhythm, but it was a fairly one-sided fight as far as scoring goes. Now, if as, this is as far as if you're watching the fight, this was a fairly one-sided, fairly easy fight to score. I don't know what the judges were watching. I have no idea what the judges were watching. But this was a fairly easy fight to score for Devin Haney. It was a one-sided showing for nine rounds for sure. Ten rounds at that, but Jorge Linares steals a ten-round Uh Devin Haney was a step ahead, two steps ahead of Jorge Linares. This is not saying that Jorge Linares was a punching bag. Jorge Linares' plan was, it almost seemed like he was looking to let Devin Haney outpunch himself, carry him to the middle rounds, and start pushing on the later rounds. Devin Haney, by round two, round three, starts breathing with his mouth open. And I immediately thought to myself, uh, I was even commenting on, on Twitter as the fight's happening. I'm commenting that, that it's very odd to see Devin Haney fighting with his mouth open that early in the fight. By, by round three, uh, his mouth was fully open. He's breathing heavy and it's a matter of nerves. It's a matter of adrenaline. I was, to me, I was thinking he's probably going to have an adrenaline dump because this is just the biggest fight of his career to date. The biggest name that he stepped into the ring to date with. And, and he, he composed himself. He carried a good pace, a good rhythm to the fight. Um, the jab was masterful by Devin Haney. The speed, the jab, it was good. There was great exchanges on both behalves. Jorge Linares by no means was a punching bag. He landed some really flush, uh, left, left hooks, uh, to, Haney's right side, right cheekbone, and he was landing some flush hooks, Linares was, over and over and over again, and just wouldn't, wasn't able to, to damage. It was either catching Devin Haney on the move, or just catching Devin Haney while Linares himself was slightly off balance, therefore he wasn't able to generate the, the, the knockdown power, uh, and get, and get, get that leverage behind his punch to be able to drop Haney because Linares is known for having some power, but he's known for also being speedy and he has a good level of uh, a good mix uh, when when he mixes his styles up. He started coming alive. He had good successions, good punches, but it was far in between. And Devin Haney stayed consistent, just working, 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 while Jorge Linares would have successions of punches, would have flashes of action, but it was far in between. He would have maybe three or four uh, successions, if that, that may, that may even be too much, each round. But Devin Haney, for at least two of the three minutes, was consistently working each and every round for the first 10 rounds. The nine rounds, the first nine rounds was an easy fight for me to score. I gave every single one of the rounds, no matter how much I was pulling for Jorge Linares, it was that easy of a fight to score. You couldn't rob Devin Haney. All nine rounds I gave to Devin Haney. That's that. By the eighth round, I thought Devin Haney, by the, by the end of the seventh, I thought Devin Haney was starting to land some really hard punches on Jorge Linares. By the eighth, he ends up hurting Jorge Linares to the body. Jorge Linares starts looking like he's about to get knocked out, like he's about to be, uh, 
be uh, be be dropped on this fight and and it didn't happen. The experience carried him through. He was able to get a second wind, finish out the eighth round, and started having some action, some succession, uh, or, or some success in the ninth round. He lands a really, really good left uppercut uh, on Haney, in which he wobbles him instantly. And it was really quick that he wobbles him. He hits him on the button, uh, right on the chin. Devin Haney wobbles a little bit, but gained his composure immediately. And you started seeing a little shift there. That was in the ninth round, but not enough to steal the round for Jorge Linares. Again, nine rounds solid for Devin Haney, in my opinion. That's how I was scoring the fight. I had it nine to zero going into the 10th. The 10th round comes, Devin Haney, same thing, same pace. Jorge Linares, getting a little bit more active, starting to land more punches, pushing the action a little bit more, but Devin Haney continued by pushing and establishing his jab and remaining, uh, keeping Jorge Linares at bay because of his jab. And then he would fake the jab and land a right punch to the stomach, to the, to the gut and push Jorge Linares back or hold him in his tracks and continue rounding about the ring, utilizing the entirety of the ring, Good footwork through and through for Devin Haney. The end, the last 10 seconds of the 10th round, this happened to be the first round that I give to Jorge Linares because he did enough to steal the round, in my opinion. And that was the last flurry that he threw, the last succession, as he gets the best of the exchange. Both fighters exchange in the center of the ring. Jorge Linares throws a really good combination, and the final punch was a punch down on an angle, landing flush on the button on the chin of... Devin Haney, and Devin Haney does not get dropped, nearly does, but does not not get dropped. The referee steps in the middle as the round ends, and Devin Haney wobbles. He got the Bambi legs, trying to walk back to the corner, and his corner is panicking because he barely made it to the corner. Jorge Linares even makes a motion as if he's he's uh he's leading him to his corner like 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 showing him which way his corner is mocking him and then he heads to his corner Jorge Linares is he he breathed some life he he got some renewed life by having landed that succession that that combination and uh and came out in the eleventh round looking to stop devin haney that that last combination by Jorge Linares was enough for me to steal the round because it was that effective and it changed momentum. It changed momentum in the favor of Jorge Linares as we re- we began the championship rounds in the fight. I That was the first round that was clear for me to give to Jorge Linares, even though Haney was winning the majority of the round, in my opinion. So we get nine rounds to one. Then we get into the 11th round. Jorge Linares comes out, and this is what people are complaining about, the clinching. Um, Devin Haney gathers himself. He tries to fight Jorge Linares. The, as, as the round began, Jorge Linares lands his left hook again, shakes Devin Haney up. Devin Haney starts moving towards from the left to the right side of the ring, at least from the fans' perspective, right as we're watching it on screen. He moves from the left of the screen to the right of the screen, rounding, rounding about uh, with his back near the ropes. 
uh, Linares connects another uh, combination and hurts Devin Haney again. And followed this followed a, a clinch on behalf of Devin Haney, one of many uh, to uh, to finish out that round. It was at least one of three or one of four uh, that that Haney pulled off there in the eleventh round to survive the round, to gain his composure, to kill the clock, and Jorge Linares lets him off the hook. This is the experienced 19-year veteran Jorge Linares, and he has him on the brink of dropping him, maybe even stopping Devin Haney and getting that belt around his waist once again. The experience on those clinches. I mean, of course, De Jorge Linares was tired. Jorge Linares was getting out punched, was getting hit the majority of the night. His experience, you would think that would carry him. And maybe he saw it and he saw these clinches, but the uppercuts weren't there. The, the quick, the quick rabbit punch that he could have landed to the forehead or to the button just to get to stop Devin Haney in his track so he could follow up with a combination and stop Devin Haney or possibly drop him. It wasn't there. He clearly allowed Devin Haney to, to hug him. Devin Haney lunging forward, grabbing, even taking some hits, exposing his head, taking hits while he's walking forward towards Jorge Linares, tying up his arms and hugging him. The referee continues to break him apart and giving him warnings and talking to him. And the clock keeps running and the 11th round got away from Jorge Linares and Linares fails to stop. This momentum shift definitely gave a new breath of life to the fight in what was a one-sided fight. The crowd was now on its feet and fully engaged, looking to see an upset. And the crowd begins to boo every time that Devin Haney is clinching. In the 12th round, at one point, he drops his head and fully lunges forward, uh, almost in a running motion, uh, and just clinches onto, uh, grabs, it was a run and hug, I believe is what they were calling it, a run and hug. He drops his head and full on runs, lunges forward toward Jorge Linares, ties him up and, and it continued and he did enough. And then he begins to compose himself. Jorge Linares lets him off the hook. The fight ends and people begin to boo. I don't know what they wanted. I don't know what they wanted, but there's a lot of stuff that happened there at the end of the fight and People immediately begin to, it was a mixed reaction when Devin Haney's announced as the winner. It was a mixed reaction by the crowd. As people are cheering, another portion of the crowd is booing. Obviously, you have Jorge Linares fans, maybe some uh, Devin Haney fans that switched, that weren't happy with his antics of grabbing on for dear life as they're saying it. To me, Devin Haney was winning a one-sided uh, decision, uh, as far as points was concerned, as far as the scorecards were concerned, Devin Haney put on a great performance, awesome jab, great speed, great footwork, uh, great ring IQ for at least 10 rounds of the 12 rounds. It was an easy, easy fight to score. Jorge Linares made it a fight into the late rounds and maybe this if he would have been able to to land these punches earlier in the fight he would have had some more rounds to work with and quite possibly he may have stopped Devin Haney but Devin Haney did what he was supposed to do he clinched he grabbed they're accusing him of holding other boxers immediately came on um 
there's a boxer, uh, Teofimo Lopez comes on, right? He's recording. Uh, there's another boxer that I only recognize as Roly. I don't, I don't, I don't know him too well, but I know he spars with a lot of these boxers with Cervante and Devin Haney and Teofimo, Ryan Garcia. And he's very, um, uh, he's very, uh, vocal, um, expresses his opinions a lot. He talks down about a lot of, a lot of fighters. He's very mouthy, uh, but very good fighter, very quick, very speedy fighter. Uh, I know him as Roly. Uh, that's, that's the name that pops in his nicknames, what pops in my head. He records a video just immediately just jumps, uh, all over Devin Haney, calling him this, calling him that, calling him names and saying, how Devin Haney was holding for dear life. Delfimo Lopez again jumps on. Ryan Garcia appears out of the woodwork and begins criticizing Devin Haney, saying that if he would have landed that punch on Devin Haney, he would have dropped Devin Haney and knocked him out. Uh, Luke Campbell starts tweeting uh, messages to Devin Haney. I mean, the hate just started pouring into Devin Haney uh, or Devin Haney's way. And I don't understand why he did what he was supposed to. He won. And it, and don't forget this, while people are pointing fingers to Devin Haney, there should also be equal blame on falling on Jorge Linares. Yes, he's a veteran, but don't give him a pass. Jorge Linares is a veteran. His experience should have been able to be enough to close. He should have known how to close this show and get his hand raised at the end of the fight. And he didn't. He wasn't able to do it, whether he was tired, whether he was, whether he, his reflexes weren't there, whether his instinct wasn't there. He was seeing Devin Haney coming in for the clinch. He knew Devin Haney was going to start clinching, especially with that much experience on your side. You know what the boxers tend to do whenever they're pure boxers. They tend to reach and grab and clinch to kill the clock. And obviously to keep you from landing that knockout punch. Devin Haney did what he could. Devin Haney did, uh, started sticking and moving, sticking and grabbing, uh, landing one or two punches, uh, one of two, one jab, uh, two punches here and there, and then grabbing. I mean, it's, this is, this is the style that allowed Devin Haney to finish the fight, uh, and, and ensure that he walked out with the, with the title. It, it's not the most, fan friendly style it's not optically it's not the greatest thing to see because you want to see these guys just fight it out but in the end these are the guys that are in the ring he did what he had to do to walk out with his title and regardless of what people's opinions are that it was ugly that it sucked that he won that way who cares he did enough he did enough to have won that so that's uh that was a little bit of a controversy uh after the fight uh, something else that I noticed, uh, in this fight, it, listen, I'm not a, I'm not a professional judge, but it was a fairly easy fight, uh, to score. Uh, I don't understand what the hell these judges were, were watching. These judges ended up, uh, scoring Patricia Morse Jarman gives Devin Haney a four round fight, 116 to 112. She saw it fairly close, fairly close. The, I, <laughs> I don't have the official scorecards in front of me, but I, I, I was able to jot down the scores as they read them out. Patricia Morris Jarman, 116-112 for Devin Haney. Meaning, Jorge Linares was a lot more in this fight than 
than what we were seeing. It was a fairly one-sided fight. Yes, Jorge Linares had a lot of good moments in the fight, a lot of good combinations that he landed, a lot of clean punches, but they were far in between from the consistency that Devin Haney set, from the pace that Devin Haney was fighting at. Uh, and, and we'll go into the punch deaths uh, here in a second. Dave Moretti has it even closer than Jarman. He had it for Devin Haney, 115-112. Dave Moretti. Steve Weisfeld, same as Jarman, 116-112, unanimous decision for Devin Haney. All three judges had this fight a lot closer, a lot closer than what we were actually witnessing. Uh, it's crazy to me. I, I don't know what. These are professional judges that have done this for years and years and years and years, and I just don't know what it is that they were that they were watching. It bothers me when you see scores like this because we consistently have these letdowns, these upsets that the judges end up taking away, taking away from from the fights, taking away from from what the fighters are doing. Uh, in the ring. I had it 118, 110, uh, giving round 10 and round 11 to Linares and round 12 to Devin Haney. Once again, 118, 110, a big difference. Uh, I know there were several publications and several sites that I saw that had it the same at 118, 110, but these judges saw it completely different and you may very well have had an upset and then people would have been jumping all over Jorge Linares because they would have been claiming robbery or this or that. It is what it is. The way that it played out, that was one of the controversies, one of the one of the issues that I had with the fight, the way that the judges saw it. Uh, the other uh, thing that bothered me about the fight was Russell Mora, the referee, the referee's job is there to enforce the rules of the sport, to enforce the rules of boxing, and to ensure that the match is fair and balanced. He's not there to decide who the winner is. He's not there to disrupt the flow of the fight. He's not there to become a star. He's simply there to enforce the rules and ensure that the fight is being fought fair and balanced by both parties. Russell Mora continues to break him up. Russell Mora continues to interject, continues to give him warnings, continues to, but never did anything. And he continued to warn Jorge Linares for punching in the back of the head when it also happened on Devin Haney's end. Uh, when Devin Haney would break away from a clinch or would clinch and punch, there was often times where Devin Haney's right hand, if you go back and watch, even if you watch the highlights, you'll catch it. He did it over and over. Devin Haney landing inside punches and would often, his elbow would often end up right on the jaw of Jorge Linares. And then step away. But Russell Mora, Russell Mora would give the warnings to Jorge Linares over. I don't know how many warnings he gave to Jorge Linares. And it's almost like he noticed that Jorge Linares was losing um, points. So he refused to take an additional point from Jorge Linares uh, and just continue to warn him. If he would have done this. Yes, it would have affected by points. Jorge Linares was already uh, trailing on points, but the the referee could see what he could see, but he had no idea how the judges on the on the sides are uh, on the outside are scoring the fight. But he's very he's very experienced himself, Russell Mora, that is. So he knows if Jorge Linares, which one of the two fighters is down on points, or at least have an idea as to which one of the fighters is down on points. So he chose not to further inflict damage to Jorge Linares. 
That's basically how it came across. If he would have, if he would have taken a point from Jorge Linares at some point during these warnings, they would have taken Rosamora a lot more serious down the stretch. And then he would have actually been able to take a point away from the excessive grabbing or clinching that people are now complaining about that Devin Haney did. But the referee didn't do it. The referee failed to do it. So he just continues to talk to him, continues to break him up and talk to him and give him lectures. And then meanwhile, the clock is running and then let him fight. And then Devin Haney will come in for another grab or another clinch. And then here goes Russell Mora again. How come nobody's talking about that? Because that ended up interrupting the flow of the fight. The clinches were interrupting the flow of the fight. But Devin Haney was smart enough to get away with what he could. He exploited a loophole, knowing that the referee was not going to do anything about it. And he finished the fight. He did what he had to do to keep that title around his waist. And that's it. So it sucks whether you're a fan of Devin Haney, whether you're not, you can't knock him. You can't knock him for having fought. He fought a great fight. He was in trouble down the stretch. And he found a way to survive, to gain his composure, and finish out the fight. It was almost reminiscent of years back, uh, 2010, I believe, when when uh, Floyd Mayweather fought Shane Mosley. And I believe it was Kenny Bayless, of course Kenny Bayless, uh, famous for for refereeing Mayweather fights and Shane Mosley catches Mayweather flush and I think it was round four where he catches him and Mayweather just clinches on for dear life with both hands grabbing onto Shane Mosley's right arm so he wouldn't get away and free up that arm and punch him again he's clinching as his legs are wobbly he's walking Mosley trying to pull back and Mayweather grabbing onto him and the referee does nothing but just watch it it's, it, it, it is, I mean, whatever, regardless of how angry you get at these things, don't take the blame on the boxer because there's a third man in the ring and they're supposed to be enforcing this and they're supposed to be making sure that the fight is fair and balanced and enforcing these rules. And if they're giving warnings to professionals, you give one warning, maybe two warnings if you want to play the three strike rule, but then you start taking points away. And you'll change the flow of the fight that way because you're letting them know that you're not going to mess around with that, that you're not going to play around with this exploiting loopholes. You start taking points away and you end up interjecting the flow of the fight by letting them know that you're not going to be doing this and you're not going to be doing that. And no cheap shots, no rabbit punching, no excessive clinching or grabbing. No, but you got to set the precedence. You got to set your foot down and, and enforce the rules, enforce the rules. Do your job. But nobody's jumping on that. Nobody caught that. Everything is going all the blame. The fingers are being pointed towards Devin Haney. But what about pointing them towards Jorge Linares, who's a 19-year veteran? Don't forget that when Jorge Linares was starting to turn pro, and I personally was pulling for Jorge Linares just because I wanted to see history on this side as well as in California with Nonito uh, becoming the oldest bantamweight champion, a 20-year veteran in Onito Daner, a 19-year veteran in Jorge Linares, and this is what I was pulling for. Uh, I was I wanted to see history. I wanted to see Jorge Linares in that Cinderella story, get a title uh, once again. But nobody's pointing the finger at him as a 19-year veteran. He When he started his career, Devin Haney was four years old. This is a 19-year veteran who has seen it all, has been in there with great names, 
great experience. He recognizes these moments and he failed to close the show. So all these people pointing the finger at Devin Haney, listen, it is what it is. He is the WBC champion. All this drama, we cleared it up on the preview episode. The WBC created this issue between Delfimo Lopez and Devin Haney. And Mauricio Suleiman is recognizing both men as the WBC, as representatives of the WBC in that 135-pound division. Devin Haney is not a paper champ, is not a Gmail champ. He's, this is a second defense. He's a 135-pound champ with the WBC title around his waist. He is legit. Whether you like it or not, he is legit. Congratulations to Devin Haney because he is the WBC champion for the 135-pound division. Delfimo Lopez is the franchise champion carrying the franchise version of the WBC 135-pound title. He's going to be fighting in a few weeks' time against George Cambozos. And mark my words, we'll do an episode as that fight gets closer and we're able to break that fight down. But mark my words, I'm going to say it here. If Cambozos dethrones Teofimo Lopez, don't be surprised if the WBC ends up pulling the franchise status and don't transfer it over to George Cambozos. Why would they do that, you ask? If the WBC, they transferred it from Lomachenko to Teofimo, but they won't do it for George Cambozos. I guarantee you that they're going to pull that franchise status, pull the carpet from under his feet. Cambozos will now have three of the four titles, and this would elevate a unification for the undisputed championship between Devin Haney and George Cambozos. If Delfimo wins, the franchise status stays there. Now they got themselves that big money fight and the reason why they created the franchise status in Devin Haney and Delfimo Lopez. That would be the next match. But don't be surprised if Cambozos upsets Delfimo Lopez and it's very he has a very good chance of doing so. Fast hands, undefeated guy, uh, good boxer at that, good foundation in George Cambozos. If he beats excuse me, if he beats Teofimo Lopez, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the WBC removes that franchise status, creating what we just had last week with Josh Taylor and Ramirez, three titles against one, and a big unification bout between Cambosos and Haney. Why do I say this? Because we just saw it with another sanctioning body. The sanctioning bodies are out of control. The sanctioning body with the WBA, they elevated your Denis Ugas, as their super champion in the welterweight division. And now it looks like they're going to pull that carpet from under his feet. And the champion that they had deemed champion in Reese's and Manny Pacquiao, they ended up, and that's because they named Manny Pacquiao champion in Reese's, who was inactive for nearly two years, or had has been inactive for nearly two years, they ended up elevating your Denis Ugas as their representative of choice and deemed them the super champion for the WBA. Errol Spence, supposed to fight, that was the fight that he was after, and he told me himself when I interviewed him back in March, and you could catch that interview uh, on, on YouTube. I have it on the catalog, on the YouTube catalog. You could check that out as I talked to Errol Spence live, and he ends up breaking the news there. This is back in March, and he's after Jordani Zugas trying to get that third title, and he tells me himself, if I get that third title... This fight, the stakes are going to raise between me and Crawford, and then I'll go after Terrence Crawford's title. That would be the fourth one that I need. And that was Errol Spence's plan. 
But of course, he's going for history. The legendary Manny Pacquiao, who Terence Crawford was after, who supposedly Ryan Garcia was after. Everybody wants to have that name on the resume. Errol Spence has landed that fight. And now the WBC, well, hey, it's a unification bout. Now, it was going to be a fight for the title, for Errol Spence's two titles. Well, now, they're going to make it a unification bout. Take, sweep the carpet from under your Denis Ugas' feet. Take the super champion status away from him and relist Manny Pacquiao as their champion. Rather than champion in Reese's, they'll reinstate him as the WBA champion. And now they have themselves a unification bout and, and a dog in the race. That's crazy, right? But that's the sanctioning bodies are doing whatever the hell they want. So mark my words, I'm calling it out here. Uh, Teofimo Lopez, of course, I'm a big fan of his. That's going to be a firefight between him and George Cambozos. And I'm just putting it out there right now because I see this happening. Sanctioning bodies are doing whatever the hell they want. But we know, we know as the fans who the main fighters are in each division. And in the lightweight division, the 135-pound division, there's five people to reckon right now and that's going to be Teofimo, that's Devin Haney, that's Gervonta Davis who doesn't have a title in that division but people still hold him uh, in high regard in 135 pound. He's fighting at 140 against Mario Barrios yet they hold him as a uh, as a top of the 135. Ryan Garcia is another dog there. I mean pff, listen it is what it is. It is what it is. Just enjoy it. While we have these fighters here and they're fighting amongst one another, I'm happy that Devin Haney called out Lomachenko and Linares and ends up landing one of those two names rather than somebody else who's unknown. He's fighting the big names. Now Javier Fortuna is, has a fight coming up with Jojo Diaz. That's going to be pretty awesome in itself. But Devin Haney did his job. This is the biggest resume to date in his uh, in his career, he moves on to 26-0, retains his title. Now he's got Gamboa and Linares in back-to-back -back fights. And now he's going to wait to see what happens with Delfimo Lopez and George Cambozos. Or he may very well land another name. Maybe Ryan Garcia, who already came out of the woodwork and began talking smack about Devin Haney. Or, I, I don't know, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. The winners are you. The winners are all of us. The, the boxing fans this was a long episode guys sorry for holding you up hopefully uh, I kept you company while you're driving to or from work or while you're out there running working out what have you hopefully I was able to keep keep you company here as this was one of the longer episodes that I have done but there was a lot to cover a lot of action happened this past Saturday congratulations Nonito Donaire the oldest bantamweight champion in boxing history at 38 beating Jerry Peñalosa's record who accomplished this feat at the age of 36 Nonito Donaire now the oldest bantamweight champion and the WBC's bantamweight champion WBC also in women's uh, Chantel Cameron also defended her WBC title and uh, WBC in full action this past weekend and then Devin Haney retains the WBC version of the lightweight championship uh, against Jorge Linares. Awesome fight. I don't know what you think. Hopefully I did justice by you and, uh, and, and did right by breaking down these fights and recapping these fights. Uh, as I saw it, I call it like I see it, guys. And, uh, and I'm not going to BS you. Uh, whether you like it or not, shoot me a comment. Let me know what you think. Find me on Twitter, 
find me on Instagram. You can send me a DM. I have the catalog up on, on Instagram and you'll link over to Buzzsprout. You could find me on any of the major podcast platforms, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, you name it. Uh, I'll be available on all of them. And you could find the catalog on YouTube as well, including a couple interviews that I left up there with Jamal Herring and one with Errol Spence from back in March at the Virgil Ortiz uh, Maurice Hooker event that I, that I attended to. Much more stuff coming your way, guys. Thank you guys again for tuning in. This was episode 97, I believe. We're getting real close to 100. Uh, so episode 97, this is a recap episode of Ubali, Donair, and Haney Linares. Thank you guys again. Have yourselves a great day or a good night, depending on when you're listening to this. And I'll see you guys on the next episode. Talk to you all soon. Take care of yourselves. <laughs>